Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We are back in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And uh, we will begin with uh, chapter 3, verse 29, where it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. And then it's going to talk about his family gathering around or coming to him. And the Greek actually says those close to him. And so, again, it's not bad to think that it refers to his family, uh, his mother and his brothers. Uh, and then we're going to start talking about the scribes. And there's going to be a situation where the scribes are going to challenge him, come against him, call him Beelzebub, or that he's operating by the prince of Beelzebub. And then the end of the chapter, if you notice, verse 31 then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. So it ends with his family. So this is a typical, uh, what we can look for in the book of Mark, something like this happening, of where he's got two storylines going, where he's got the family coming, and then he stops and tells this story, and then after this story, the family event takes place here. So it's a sandwich, and it's something that John, you're going to see Mark doing uh, throughout the book here and this ties together because these people the family those close to him are coming to him and disagreeing uh, it's it's going to actually say you can see in the text it it says that they think he's insane that he's he's beside himself the idea in the greek is that he's outside of his brain he's outside of himself he's left uh he's not in the the right state uh insane uh he's gone mad he's out of his mind and so they're coming to save him. Uh, they're going to come to help him. They're not being negative. They don't believe. They don't understand. Uh, they think he's in danger. He's endangering himself because he's drawing such large crowds. They don't have time to eat. The very first verse, they don't have time to eat. There's so, so much pressure on him. Uh, they're crowding around him. And he's stirring up the scribes from Jerusalem. So the, the crowds are going to cause him trouble. The scribes from Jerusalem are coming to cause him trouble. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's gone too far, and they're coming to save him. And this is interesting uh, because uh, Peter's going to do the same thing. When Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, Peter says, no, I'm going to save you. So several times in the, the book of Mark, the Gospels, uh, people that care about Jesus come to deliver him, come to save him from the situation he's getting himself into. Now, the scribes are going to come, and they're going to disagree with him also, but they're going to disagree with him because they've rejected him and they want to destroy him. So you've got people uh, in Jesus' situation right here. It's not, you know, the two sides. There's Jesus' side and the opposition because we did see those, the crowd divided and he called those out of the crowd that were following him and then there's the opposition. So you've got those that are following him and the opposition. But in here, you've got those that are, in a sense, supporting him disagreeing with him those who are against him disagreeing with him so you see jesus actually in this case which would make sense uh being in a temporal world surrounded by sinful people that are living in a temporal life everyone disagrees with him there's no one is on the same page as jesus and you can kind of almost uh see that throughout the gospels every time jesus is doing something some are like in agreement with it or supporting it, but not to the extent or for the same purpose that Jesus is doing it. And others are against him. Uh, some not even understanding why they're against him, which probably leaves that door open that some people that are against him, as time goes on, they'll come around and understand him. 
uh, but yet uh, these divisions are going to become uh, more cemented. Yeah, those that agree with him and support him are going to come, because his family, we're going to see, we could go to the book of John, his family, his, his brothers don't, don't believe in him. They, in, the, in the sense of uh, he's not, they don't understand, see him as the Messiah. But by the time you get into the book of Acts, after the resurrection, uh, his brothers have come around. James and Jude Joseph, both become leaders. You even call them apostles in the early church. So they were supporting him or they were trying to help him, but they really didn't understand him until later and they came to him. And some of those that are, I would assume that are disagreeing with him really don't understand why they're disagreeing with him. Some of them are going to go further from him and some are going to eventually come and join with him. So I'll begin reading in chapter 3. We'll read through the whole thing. There's several interesting things in this chapter. And, uh, I, you know, again, I'll teach it, I'll explain it, give you some insight. Uh, but you're, you've got to keep thinking and, and, you know, use the rest of Scripture, use other teachings and understandings to uh, make sure we have, you want the right interpretation of these things. So here we go, chapter 3 uh, of Mark, verses 20 through 35. Then Jesus entered a house, it says, uh, and I'll point this out here as I go by, just in case I don't come back. Uh, this, the, the only ho- this is Capernaum, and the only house mentioned with, in any detail is Peter's house. So I, you can keep that, that. Maybe there's other house that he's going to a variety of houses. That's possible. Maybe he's got his own house that he's either renting or buying. That's possible. But if we stay in the book of Mark, the only house that has been identified is Peter's house, and we do know they go back to that house on different occasions. So it's not wrong to just say when Jesus is in Capernaum and is talking about a house, they're talking about Peter's house because that's the only house that's been identified. So there's three options, and I would go tonight with the idea that uh, they're back at Peter's house. Uh, when, especially since they've, been, they've honored in the first century, the third century, all the way through time, since the day of the New Testament, they've honored that location and not a bunch of other little houses. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, meaning they're going to take control of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the te- Now that's, that's the beginning of the sandwich, that's the first layer. Now, the middle of the sandwich. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, very clearly identified, they're on a mission uh, I'll point this out, before they came to ask him questions, they came from Jerusalem to question, kind of, you know, figure out what's going on here, kind of try to trap him, and well, now they've come with a decision. They've made their decision. For, up until this point, they were questioning him. Why do you do this? Why do you do this? And they're maybe trying to trap him, but here, no, no longer trying to trap him. We've made our decision. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. That is, they've gone back to the school of theology. They've debated it. They've talked about it. This is their conclusion. It, and again, they're, they're confident, but Jesus is going to point out that's illogical. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. Now, uh, we'll talk about this word again. I, mean, I want to point out as we go by, Jesus called them. That, that's the same word It was going to be used here of Jesus calling the disciples or calling the crowd to him it's actually a, a term that he summoned them he, they they didn't sneak up on him and trap him he's like hey 
He's calling class. It's like class is a session. He's calling them to himself, and he's going to logically reason with them. It's like the last opportunity. I'm going to use logic. I'm going to use parables. Before you guys jump off this cliff, it's, it's d- discussion time. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Don't forget the word house. The word house there is important. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. Now he's going, the, the first was logic. That those verses, I would say, verses 23 through 26 are him using logic. This is logical. Now he's going to go over and make an application in a parable form. Uh, he says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. Now he's talking about house again. And carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven He is guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 30, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now the end of the sandwich. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, outside the house. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Then he says, who are my mother and my brothers? He said, then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And then we'll end talking about what we have in those verses there. So uh, going to your notes on page three, you can see in the bold right towards the middle, uh, Chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, the first few verses here tonight. Then he went home. That's how the English Standard translated it. He went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. I've got uh, those verses right there in the Greek. And in the Greek, it's just a literal translation. And he comes to a house. See, it doesn't say a home. It says a house in the Greek. And, but we know it's where they're staying in Capernaum, we'll assume. And comes together again a crowd, so that not are they able, them even, bread to eat. So wherever Jesus goes into the city of Capernaum, right away he's getting crushed with a crowd. Uh, and when his family heard it, again, what did they hear? That he's doing miracles, he's driving out demons. It appears in the context here, they heard that he had come home, or come to the house, and that once he got to the house, people are there again that's like someone's got to save him from the crowds remember last week the crowds rushing and he they had to get a boat ready he says get a boat ready because they're crushing him so he comes into the house they're again crushing him so the family may think we got to get him away from the the crowds the paparazzi i mean we got to save him i mean so i mean what are they saving him from they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind He's out of control. He's lost his, his, his place there. Um, and then in point one, there apparently Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him during his earthly ministry. You can look in uh, John 7. But by Acts 1, 14, they are, they are there. They're in the upper room. And so is Mary. So again, 
And that the, the end of this sandwich tonight, or the end of these verses here, is kind of what we're heading for in, in this topic, is you're going to have the temporal uh, relationships, and then you're going to have the eternal, or the temporal and the spiritual. And here he's going to have Mary, James, Jude, there's family. But Jesus come to institute something new. Uh, we, are, we know he's not going to neglect these. Because on the cross, he talks about his mother. You know, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And John takes care of Mary for the rest of her life. I mean, he stays with her in Jerusalem. Uh, before the fall of Jerusalem, he leaves and takes her up to Ephesus. So Jesus takes care of... He, we've got to assume that Jesus is meeting his family responsibilities. If his father died, uh, which everyone would assume because he's not mentioned... Uh, and Jesus, the oldest son, he would have been responsible for uh, taking care of his mother. And so at this point right here, uh, they, Jesus wouldn't have walked away from this because at the cross, he's handing the responsibility over to John. So he would have taken care of this. We're not neglecting this temporal, but he's pushing for something eternal, a new relationship. And so these people, they're going to come as a family but he's not going to recognize them as the family. He's going to recognize that those around him. And these people are going to have to find Jesus, not just as their son and their brother. They're going to find him as Savior. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, they've come into this relationship of what he's going to describe. Those who do the will of my father, do the will of God, are my mother, my brother, and my sister. And so they're going to enter into this new relationship with Jesus, which, of course, for us on the outside looking in because we're not in that kind of a relationship uh but these people would have had a hard time because you know you're going to have to transfer understanding that your son your brother is more than you know just a mother or you know a son or a brother uh the disciples would have something similar they're seeing him as a man you know they travel with him john says that what we've seen what we've heard what that we've touched with our hands uh, we proclaim to you the word of life. They went from seeing him as a man to realizing this is the eternal word. And so everybody's going to have to make that transition, including uh, these scribes and Pharisees. So that's what's going to be taking place here. Uh, Jesus is going to be presenting by the end of this chapter a new relationship that you're going to have to have with him. Uh, point two, this is just what I've said before, but uh, he is out of his mind. Is from the word, you can see it there in the, in the Greek. It's ex Ekeste, which is the form of ekistemi, which means to displace or stand beside or aside from. It means exactly that. He's beside himself. He's out of his mind. He's out of his wits. Uh, and those close to him, they came for protection from the crowd, from the authorities. And they're doing as what Peter would have done in Caesarea Philippi. So that's what, that's what they're coming to do. They're coming to save him. Again, interestingly, and they've got his best interest in mind. And anytime you have the temporal trying to interpret the spiritual, the temporal trying to interpret the eternal, there's going to be a breakdown. They, this doesn't make sense. And for them to keep up with what Jesus is doing, they're going to have to make the transition into his view so they can understand what's taking place. And there's always going to be, and you may experience that in your own life, of when you're doing something that God's called you to, something that... Uh, it would be eternal value that it doesn't make sense in the temporal world in, in, in many cases. If it be, you know, uh, what you spend your time doing, what you spend your finances doing, where you spend your effort, your thoughts. Uh, the, the temporal world is demanding one thing 
and you're seeing something different, and so you're going this direction, there's going to be a, a veil there until these people here see what's going on. Now, I'll point out again, just because you see the eternal, just because you see the value of something spiritual, something more than the temporal, is not an excuse to uh, neglect the temporal response. We live in both worlds. We are... We have to have a job. We have to have relationships. We have to meet our responsibilities. We're citizens of the United States. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. You can't neglect your responsibilities as a, an individual, as a father, as a husband, as a citizen, just because you say, oh, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a son of God. I'm one of the brothers in the body of Christ, so I'll neglect my responsibility. It, we've got to keep do both of those and i know i went through a time especially you know in our 20s both tony and i were trying to find this balance uh and so you got to meet both sides and so again you can become critical people that are completely absorbed over here will look back at people that are still meeting earthly responsibility say you need to be more committed here uh, people that are just totally here will say what are you doing over here and i think there is going to have to be some kind of a balance between your temporal responsibilities which you, you you've got you can't escape them but you also have realized you are also part of a kingdom uh, of an eternal state that you're going to have to take some of the th time and energy from this age and invest it in here. And that, I think, is where you talk about being led by the Spirit, being led by the truth of the Word of God. No one can, you know, you can always step back and evaluate or judge someone or judge yourself. But when it really comes right down to it, you've got to find that balance and uh and again i i, sp I suppose it's a constant adjustment that's being made because i can be critical of myself in the past when i was too far down here you know whether they say too heavenly minded to to be any earthly good uh or i've also drifted back into this where it's like are you even aware of this and so it's constantly going. but anyway that's what's taking place here in verses 20 and 21 well anyway sandwiched in this account between his family and the and the tension that's going on there and that is that is how this section begins and ends right in the middle of that is this uh verse chapter 3 verse 22 and the scribes who came down from jerusalem were saying he is possessed by beelzebul now notice what that says <clears throat> and you can even see it in i think i've got it in the greek on the next page is b El the I want to make sure I do this right. Zabol. Okay, now this is important. This word right here, Zabol, is important for what's taking place. Uh, this is going to refer to house, uh, a lofty, a dwelling, uh, a, a, a temple. Uh, it's going to be a, a nice place, which can be mean refer to a dynasty. Uh, uh, you know, a palace, a, 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 you know, the house of David or something. And it's not an evil word. It's not an evil word. And I'll show you that here. So they're saying uh, he is possessed by Beelzebul, uh, by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. Now, this right here, Beel, we're going to end up, this is going to end up being coming from Baal. So uh, the house of Baal. Or the prince of Baal, and we'll, we'll see this. So this is an Old Testament reference right here uh, that he's, he's doing this because he is of this house, house of uh, Be Beelzebul. 
and that's 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 what it's that's the translation uh and he and he called them to him and said to them in a parable now jesus they're saying this jesus calls him says come here and he says and he goes right to satan they're 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 using this as a reference and it's a cover for satanic power or evil powers and saint jesus goes right here he doesn't say anything about beelzebul or beelzebub we'll talk about that he goes right to saints so that when they say beelzebul jesus understands that that there's talking about satan uh, he goes right to that and i think they understand that also and he called them to him and he said to them in parables how can satan cast out satan if a kingdom is divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand and if a house is divided against itself that house will not be able to stand and if satan has risen up against himself and is divided he cannot stand but is coming to an end so that there there's the logic that you cannot have he says how can i be beelzebul and be attacking the house of satan i am dismantling the house of satan i'm dismantling satan's got these people captive with demon possession and i'm dismantling it how does that even logically make sense and the point is to their the theologians to the scribes coming out of jerusalem you've questioned me you've decided you're going to reject me but your conclusion that i am beelzebul driving out satan or satan driving out satan that's you've got to do better than that guys that's that's not that's illogical that's not even good theology and then he goes to a parable as we've read before then he says but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house so now he's going to talk about going into see right here see what it says now and then he says there's a strong man in a house see right here zabul means house he says who can go into a house and plunder that house unless you take the strong man and the strong man is going to be you know satan the strong man is going to be baal or the prince of baal or someone whoever is the authority the strength of this house this dwelling this temple this dynasty this demonic dynasty that strong man is going to have to be bound so that is again if satan is the strong man he's going to bind himself so he can plunder his own house it's like you're going to have to have somebody from the outside someone from the outside is going to have to come into this house and bind this strong man and whoever's coming in has to also be a strong man or he'd have to be a stronger man and he's going to have to come from another house he's going to have to come from another temple another dynasty he's going to come from some other source of power other authority and come into this a stronger man is going to have to bind this strong man so if you're concerned about satan and clearly satan is being bound because his house is being plundered because demons just keep falling away it's like and we'll talk about this this exorcism or driving out demons was not new and i, I you know this i can show you some verses in judaism in the first century they did cast out demons we can see it in the book of acts the sons of sceva were casting out demons uh so they they were not surprised that he was 
dealing with demons and demon possession, what amazed them or astonished them was how easily he did it and by what authority and by what uh, you know, accuracy or 100% totally. He never, it's not recorded of him ever facing a demon, and I think it would be, uh, because it would have undermined his whole, whole position here, is any time Jesus cast out a demon he, and they try to talk, he tells them to be quiet and they leave. He has total authority. And these people, these scribes, had been practicing, their people had been practicing, but they didn't have exorcism, casting out demons, but they weren't as precise, they weren't as effective, they weren't as complete and total dominion. And so what they are seeing here is someone coming into Satan's stronghold, and it's not someone within Beelzebul, within the house of Baal. It's not someone within the house of Satan that's doing this. It's not Satan, because Satan's the strong man, and he's bound, because his demons are being just driven out, and people are being taken. The plunder, the spoils are being taken back by someone else, and this someone else is an outsider, someone stronger, it's Jesus coming from, and he's going to say, the kingdom of God has come. Another house, another dwelling, another dynasty has arrived and is taking this dynasty out. So he says it can't be Satan driving out Satan. First, for this to happen, a stronger man is going to have to bind the strong man in the house in order, uh, in order to take the plunder. And you know the plunder is being taken. So in other words, he's not saying, if you ever see this happening... He's explaining, this is what you're seeing. You've just seen Satan bound, people being delivered because someone stronger has come in and bound Satan. So it's not Satan's house that's doing this. It's another house. It's another dynasty. That is, it's another kingdom that has infiltrated this kingdom. So what you're seeing is the very manifestation of the kingdom of God. And there's no doubt about it. And they know there's no doubt about it. And so now they're staring flat out at the truth. And they have no excuse. But they're not going to accept it. They're going to commit what is called, he's going to say, the unforgivable sin. It's like, well, that's it. There's, that's the answer. And you've rejected the answer. There's nothing we can do to help you. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Uh, the points that I've got written down here that I think you'll find interesting, uh, point one, a lot of these things, of course, I've said, but this is a little bit more of a categorical organization of them. Uh, these scribes came from Jerusalem on official business, this time not to question him, but to label him and categorically reject him. Uh, the friends in the previous verse thought he was beside himself or out of his mind, but now the opposition has identified him as being possessed by Beelzebub. So at the beginning of the story, they says he's out of his mind. These people say he's possessed. In his mind is a demon. He's possessed by Satan. Uh, so both are identifying that something they're trying to identify. He's, he's out of his mind. No, he's not out of his mind. He's possessed by another mind. Uh, point A under two, Beelzebul was the original form of the pagan god's name, which means right here, Beelzebul. That's what you have in the Greek and in your translations, in, in the English Standard at least. Uh, what does the NIV have? Uh, Beelzebub. 
I've got in my NIV, Beelzebub. You see that, verse 22? And then, see, in the footnote, it says Beelzebul or Beelzebul. So, this is Beelzebul, Zabul, is in the Greek, it's in the English Standard, and it's in the footnote of the NIV, but Beelzebub is sometimes what it's referred to. Now, you're going to see that, and you know this already. Uh, it refers to the prince of Baal, or the lord of Baal, or the lord of the dwelling. So like, Baal, lord of the dwelling. Baal, Zebul, lord of the dwelling. Referring to the prince of Baal's abode, dynasty, or house. Uh, Zebul, this word right here, Zebul, is, uh, for example, five times in the Old Testament, and it means, it refers to either an exalted prince or ruler, or to his exalted dwelling place. Uh, I've got five, four, five references here, and I just, I just want to point them out to you. They all are not, they're not evil. It just means the exalted dwelling place. Solomon in 1 Kings 8.13 speaks and says, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Again, the dwell forever, uh, uh, Zabul, your dwelling forever. It's a lofty dwelling place. Isaiah 63.5, look down from the heaven and see from your lofty thrones, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and might, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. Again, from your lofty throne, from there, looking down. Uh, Habakkuk 3, I've got it underlined, Habakkuk 3, verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their place. And in their place, if you look through, I guess kind of small, if you read it backwards there, the sun, the moon stood still in their habitation. It's the, it's the fourth Hebrew word, there do you see it, Zabuiah. Zabuiah uh, is, is in the uh, Habakkuk 3. It translates in their place. That's the lofty place for them to be, the, the sun and the moon. Uh, Psalm 9, 49, 14, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, with no place to Zabul. They will not have a Zabul. And then Second Chronicles 6, 2, again, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. That is the word Zabul. So it means house or dwelling. It's a place where the stars would have their dwelling. Uh, God would have his dwelling. It had been mockingly changed to, in the Old Testament and in the Septuagint, uh, from Prince of Baal, or, uh, yeah, Prince, the house of Baal, Prince of Baal, to Prince of the Flies, or Beelzebub. And so they change Beelzebul to Beelzebub, which changes it from Lord of the Dwelling, Lord of the Dynasty, Lord of the Temple, to Lord of the Flies, meaning something rotten, something that's rejected. I've got it written down here better. Uh, Mockley to uh, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Uh, yeah, in the Septuagint, it had already begun to be changed to Baal, Muion, meaning Lord of Carrion, or flies, meaning rotten or repulsive. Uh, both ideas of insane and demon possessed are the same statement. Oh, I, here, John 10, verse 20, I've got it written there. Many of them said, 
he has a demon and is insane why listen to him so in john chapter 10 verse 20 they capture both the idea of what his people that were close to him saying he's insane and what the critics were saying is he's demon possessed john 10 20 puts both those together saying people were coming from both directions saying he's insane he's demon possessed um now jesus calls them to him or he summons them there's that ideal of them calling him or summoning them uh and again, it, he calls the disciples in Mark 8, the crowds in 714 of Mark. Uh, Jesus did not, was not caught by the scribes. They, they're coming to accuse him, but even before they get a chance to accuse him, he's calling them, summoning them, saying, listen, let's talk about your logic. This doesn't make sense. And then he's going to go ahead and explain, build on this ideal of a house. Um, oh, I got point four. I, I will read this real quickly. Exorcism was common in Judaism. And again, I just want to read this at Acts chapter 19. We can flip over there. You know this verse. Acts chapter 19 of where you're going to see Paul in Ephesus uh, teaching daily in a lecture hall. And then uh, miracles were being done. Even clothing was being taken, you know, uh, napkins, work aprons or something, uh, tool belts. Uh, that were being used and taken to people that were sick or demon-possessed, and they were being healed. And because of this, um, Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, he's lecturing daily in Tyrannus's lecture hall in Ephesus, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. Right there. Some Jews who were exorcists. Some Jews who practiced the very thing Jesus is doing. Now in the other Gospels, Jesus is going to, in a situation like this, he's going to ask them, if I cast out demons, uh, how, do, how, do, how do your sons do it? I mean, they're driving out demons. Are they Satan also? Well, here, they're doing, here it is right here. This is a recording. of. Like I say, it wasn't unique in Judaism in the first century. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So they had their own rituals. They had their own incantations. Now remember, everything the, the authorities did religiously was based in some other authority before them. They had the Word of God, but they had teachings and traditions and sayings, and they would never, like when Jesus taught, He would say, Thus saith I, or amen truly i say to you uh and and he was speaking by his own authority they were amazed like well where's your references i'm just telling you the way it is i i've been there i've seen it i came from heaven this is the way it is but aren't you going to quote somebody uh no i i'll i'll quote a verse i'll, I'll re teach a scripture but no uh i'm not going to quote a, a scribe <laughs> i'm going to tell you the way it is so they noticed that right away in capernaum he teaches as one who's got authority. Uh, I mean, he's not quoting authority. He's just like quoting himself. It's like, how, how do you do that? Well, these sons of, these sons of Sceva, we're going to find out, they saw and heard that Paul was using the name of Jesus. So it's like, ah, we'll use that authority the, by the authority of Paul. Paul's using it. We'll bring it over and we'll put that into our incantation. Some of the Jews went around driving out e evil 
uh, driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So they tried this. In the name of Jesus, on the authority of Paul, does this work? It's like, no. <laughs> it, you got to, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's not some kind of, we're going to quote a bunch of authorities. They're trying to quote Paul and use Jesus' name. And the demons, they said, uh, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So when it says the scribes came from Jerusalem, it's, it's possible. In fact, Jesus is going to say in one of the other Gospels, how do your sons do it? And right here, sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. And Jesus asked them, how do your sons do it? They're going around doing this all, all around. How are they doing it? But here they are. They're trying to do it in Ephesus or around the air. They've heard that Paul was doing it. Uh, verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, which means their success rate was very, very low. They were not even, they had candles or whatever. They had incantations. They had authorities. They had rituals. I don't know, jingling little bells or something. I'm not sure what they were doing. But they're trying to, Jesus would just say, come out of him. And it would happen. So now they try it. And finally, one day, the demon begins to speak to them and says, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul. I've heard of him. But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. Remember, when Jesus told the evil spirit to come out, the people would fall on the floor and have some kind of fit or you know, convulsion or something, and you know, the demon would leave. Well, in this case, the demon talks to them and instead of coming out, uses the man's own body and beats them with the man's own body. Now, you can imagine Jesus in the, uh, in the synagogue in Capernaum telling an evil spirit to come out and the evil spirit rushes the stage or rushes where Jesus is teaching and grabs him and starts throwing Jesus around the synagogue. Uh, it's like, stop it, stop it, come out, come out. And he's being thrown around. It's like, instead, when Jesus says, come out, the demon just convulses the man and leaves and the man's free well here's a complete the demon never did leave he just used the man's body jumped on them overpowered them he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding now again the ideal of being naked is not about the nudity it's about the threshing they got i mean when you your clothes are like beaten off of you and ripped off of you you've gone through a beating you understand it's not just like they got, they got slapped around they got beat so long, so hard, so bad, their clothes were shredded. They were naked, running out all beat up and bleeding, running out of the house. And the demon was still in the man. So this whole ideal of casting out demons was familiar to these people. What was shocking was the fact that Jesus was doing it with such authority, with, with such precision, with such a high success rate, they say this is not normal. The only way someone could have this kind of power if he's Satan himself. And Jesus said, that's illogical because I'm, I'm dismantling the house of Satan or the house of Beelzebub. So obviously, Satan has been tied up. He's been bound. The strong man's been bound by someone stronger. So clearly, I'm outside of the kingdom coming in, dismantling, and I'm plundering the house. Um. We're back on page 5, um, pointing out in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. It's coming up later in the book of Mark. 
uh, the disciples come and tell Jesus in chapter 9, verse 38, that they saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. And he says, do you want us to tell them to stop? And that's where Jesus says, no. It, 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 those who are for us, you know, they're, 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 they're working with us. They, they're, they're doing the same thing. So it's interesting that outside of the, in chapter 9, outside of the 12 disciples and Jesus' core group, there was someone that, that Peter and James and John in the group, it's like, oh, we don't know who this guy is. But he's obviously a disciple of yours, and he's using your name, and he's successfully casting out demons. Do you want us to call him in and have you, you know, correct him? He says, no, no, no. If they're not scattering, he says, therefore. So what's interesting is that power, Jesus' power, even outside the apostles, was spreading, which is even more glorious for us as we understand this, that Jesus had bound Satan, and his house was being dismantled even by those that we don't even have a record of who were these people. Um, any of the disciples didn't know. Point five, the authority of Jesus over Satan meant Satan's reign over men by sin and death had come to an end. Satan's house is connected with the Lord of Baal, clearly. They say Beelzebub. Jesus says Satan. He says, no, he's connecting Baal, the house of Baal, to Satan and Satan's house. Uh, and the logic is this, uh, Satan is being driven out by a power greater than himself and by an authority outside of Satan's domain, and that would be Jesus. That's, that's the logic. So what you see here logically is saying there is something bigger than Satan, which must be God, a kingdom bigger than Satan's, which must be God, and Jesus is operating it with precision, which means Jesus must be God, and Satan is bound, and Jesus is setting people free. And that's where you have this next point seven. Interesting, in Isaiah 49, verses 24 through 26, without going back to Isaiah, reading through all the, the ideas here, just listen to this verse. And this is, what, this, is what was ta- this is what was taking place right here. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captive of a tyrant be rescued? Now, in this case, the mighty and the tyrant would be Satan, and the prey and the captives would be the people that were demon-possessed. Can they, can they be delivered? Can they be taken back from the tyrant? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they will be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, O Mighty One of Jacob. So in the Old Testament, Isaiah says that they will know that Jesus is the Mighty One, their Redeemer, when they pray the captives are taken away from the tyrant. that, That fits in very nicely with what was taking place right here. Um, and then right above that point 6b the parable Satan is the strong man of the kingdom that has been bound up by the stronger man coming from outside the kingdom Satan's kingdom is being plundered and Satan will never be able to make a comeback there's no there's no coming back from this now chapter page 6 mark 3 verses 28 through 30 now this is a tough verse uh but yet it's very simple, I think. And again, this, is, this would be a, you know, a great theological discussion. Let me read it here in the English Standard Version. 
First of all, truly I say to you. Now, do you see that right there? Truly I say to you. Jesus is saying that. It's amen lego hymen, which means truly or amen I say to you. No, notice right there, once again, he's not doing what? He's not quoting an authority. He's not using a scripture. And again, we're not saying anything against Jesus being out of line with scripture. But Jesus, when he's speaking, is the speaking word of God. Amen. Truly, truly, thus is it written. This is, this is like written word of God. Truly, I say to you. Uh, and this may be information that is, in a sense, being revealed by Jesus Divine revelation for the first time. It's not a prophet speaking for him. It's Jesus speaking directly to the people of his generation. And he makes this, this, uh, this principle. All sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemy they utter, and wh- whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. He says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemy, blasphemy they utter. So all sins of man will be forgiven. Meaning there is nothing that man can do that God is not able to forgive. Everything is going to be covered. All sins, uh, sins or blasphemy. You, you say something against God, you, you don't understand, you make a mistake. It's all going to be forgiven. But then he says this, but whoever sins against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Now when we say uh, sin against Holy Spirit, um, one thing, I, I, and again, I, there's, there's a thousand things to come at this with and try and explain, but the thing that sticks out for me right now that I want to point out is the Holy Spirit is not here and never comes to promote the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, again, this is not necessarily a theological illustration, the Holy Spirit is almost invisible. The Holy Spirit, is, the best we got is the Holy Spirit comes to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to point you when the Holy Spirit works when the Holy Spirit manifests, what you're going to see is Jesus. Which, in, in my illustration, the Holy Spirit is in Ah, there's the Holy Spirit. Ah, there's the Holy Spirit. Look what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's like the Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal Jesus. So if you want to say, oh, look what the Holy Spirit did, then you should be saying, I'm seeing Jesus. I'm understanding Jesus. I have a better relationship. I have a better insight. I understand Jesus and what he has done, what he's doing, who he is. Now you've had a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But if you've got a Holy Spirit, it's like, oh, look, the Holy Spirit's there. The Holy Spirit's It's like the Holy Spirit doesn't have a ministry other than pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus has come to us, what is Jesus going to do with us? He's going to take us to the Father. He is our atoning sacrifice. He is the high priest. The high priest for what? To lead you to the Father. So the Holy Spirit, when I say invisible, please forgive me if you feel like that's a theologically inaccurate statement, but the Holy Spirit is not, this is, this right here, if this is your religion, if this is your Christianity, 
Holy Spirit, uh, that's incomplete. Now, in fact, that, that can become very weird. That can become, uh, that's like going nowhere. The Holy Spirit is going to always point you to Jesus. And I'll say it again. If you say, well, I've never really experienced the Holy Spirit, but I have grown in my understanding of Jesus. I do have more insight. I do have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> well, you didn't do that by yourself. How did that happen? Well, I've been studying the Bible. Oh, so you can like understand divine revelation just reading it and studying it? That's because the Holy Spirit is doing it. Well, I didn't even feel the Holy Spirit. I didn't even see the Holy Spirit. Right, because the Holy Spirit is here to glorify Jesus. And when you understand Jesus, you're going to be led to the Father and have confidence in the Father's presence. There it is. So, sinning against the Holy Spirit, uh, there's no forgiveness. Now that becomes, in a sense, uh, hard to pin down. What is sin against? First of all, all sins will be forgiven. Blasphemy will be forgiven. But if you sin against the Holy Spirit, which I just made the impression... You don't even see the Holy Spirit. You can't even say, there he is, there he was, what? There, there, you just, that was the Holy Spirit. You just sinned against him. No, he's mad. Now, the Bible does say you can grieve the Holy Spirit. But by grieving the Holy Spirit, or in this case, sinning against the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is going to be showing you something. He's going to be doing something. He's going to be ex- revealing this truth. It's go- he's going to be shining a light on this. You're going to have an understanding. For example, if I'm up here teaching, and you say, well, I don't understand that, or I'm, I'm sharing the gospel, or you share the gospel with somebody, you're, you're handing out tracts in a parking lot, you knock on someone's window, can I tell you about Jesus Christ, and slide a track in there, and they roll the window up and drive away. Well, they've just rejected Jesus Christ. And no, they've rejected a creepy person in the parking lot. Uh, that, that will be forgiven them, okay? But if, for example, they take that track home, I don't want to encourage creepy behavior, but let's say they, they go home and they read that track and it makes complete sense to them. It's like all of a sudden, oh, wow, they understand it. Well, the Holy Spirit has revealed it to them and they say, no, they have sinned against not you in the parking lot. They've sinned against the Holy Spirit's ministry. Uh when the Holy Spirit reveals truth to you and you say no, that, that you, you've said no to the, the only truth, the only light, there's no, other, there's no forgiveness for that. The unforgivable sin is not up here. It's not name all your top ten sins. You know, it's like it, it, it can be forgiven. But when the Holy Spirit shows you truth, shows you, in this case, shows you jesus christ or as jesus was casting out demons the holy spirit the power of the holy spirit was there the holy spirit was using that to demonstrate who jesus was jesus says the strong man has been bound up the house of the strong man is being plundered well who bound up the strong man satan in his house a stronger man from another house who bound up satan in his kingdom a stronger man 
from another kingdom. That is Jesus coming. The Holy Spirit, by casting out these demons, was revealing to these scribes, this is Jesus, the, the Son of God, who's come from the kingdom. He's binding up the powers of, of Satan, the Beelzebul, he, the, the underworld. It's in his dominion. And they sought clearly. They said, we don't want that. He says, well, understand, listen. All sins are going to be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? He says, uh, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, it's not... It's not a matter here of someone not understanding because you, you should be skeptical. If you see someone doing miracles or you see someone walking on water, you see someone communicating with demons, uh, your first thought should be, e- <laughs> what, what is going on here? Now the Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus. A demon will give you weird powers and weird insights and and magical mystical things so if you reject something because that's just weird that's maybe wise to be skeptical is 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 not a fault it's like i i better see this thomas was skeptical jesus then jesus provided him with evidence uh so this is not just being skeptical and, and say, I'm not going to believe just any kind of weird miracle. That, because Paul and the Bible continually warn you of false signs and wonders. So to say, uh, I'm not going to follow a sign. I'm not going to follow a wonder. Just because someone can do something supernatural, I can't explain. It's like, must be God. It must be. Well, no, when we talk about something you can't explain, there's a whole spiritual kingdom out there. One of them is Satan's kingdom. And there's, Paul says, There'll be signs and wonders. There'll be teachings of demons. Even when anybody teaches, when I teach, you, you need to have the Spirit of God, the Word of God, because teachings of demons are, are here. They, they have come. They are coming. Uh, and you should, have to, you should be able to reject. So rejecting false teaching, rejecting false signs, don't worry about rejecting a sign if you're looking for Jesus. These people are seeing Jesus, Jesus going out of his way to demonstrate, and they apparently, apparently they know what they're doing. They have, they're not in ignorance. We could say Paul was in ignorance. Paul even says he was in ignorance. He says, I, I was the greatest of sinners, but I acted in ignorance. He says, I thought I was following the, the, the God of Israel. And then he, he just got on the wrong page. And when Jesus revealed himself to it, he instantly came to Christ. Now, uh, there is this verse right here. Uh, go to 1 John 5.16. Again, we can spend a lot of time talking about this. This, would be, this could be a topic of several weeks. 1 John Uh, chapter 5 of 1 John, John writes, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God 
so that you may know that he has that you have eternal life so john is right just like he wrote the gospel of john he writes the gospel of john and provides you with these signs he gives you signs and a discussion of each of the signs so that you might know that jesus is the son of god that's why he writes the gospel now he writes first john to those so he says i write these things so that you you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you may know that you have eternal life you have believed on the name of the son of god now i'm writing you to give you confidence if you believed in the name of the son of god you have eternal life you're not going to lose it he talks about how confessing your sins and jesus is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness or god will cleanse you from all unrighteousness he says verse 14 this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us again now be careful that ah whatever we ask for we get no he's clear he says if you're in christ and you're walking in the will of god and you ask god for something like you know reveal jesus to me now yeah well give me a bigger house okay there's a difference between saying reveal jesus to me so i have a greater understanding and the difference between that and saying give me a bigger house you say i can guarantee if you pray reveal jesus to me in a greater way i have a greater understanding he will do that you say oh this is i can just ask for a bigger house it's like okay now we're you're kind of missing the point here we're talking about your relationship with jesus christ this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Get ready to start learning and understanding more about Jesus. Because you've asked God, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal Jesus. We can guarantee, get ready, this is going to happen. You're going to have a greater understanding of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I asked for a big house. Okay, the whole point of Jesus coming to the earth was to deliver you from sin and Satan and give you eternal life, deliver you from death. Yes, but can I get a big house on the way through? Can, I'm not going to say God doesn't provide, but he's not a genie trying to meet all of your desires here in this age. He'll meet your needs, but not all these desires. Like, focus, stay focused on what we're doing here. Verse 16, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death he should pray and god will give him life for example if you see a brother in sin who's you know getting caught up in the world i want a bigger house i want a bigger house you know using that as an illustration there's nothing wrong with having i've got a nice house that we could go off on that if we wanted to but uh if you see someone getting caught up in the world and you pray it says god was going to respond to that he's going to help help that brother Uh, does not lead to death he should pray and god will give him life i refer to those whose sin does not lead to death there is a sin that leads to death i am not saying that he should pray about that all wrongdoing doing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death we know that anyone born of god does not continue to sin the one who was born of god keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him we know that we are children of god and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one we know also that the son of man has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true even in the son of son jesus christ he is the true god and eternal life so there they're talking about a sin 
that does not lead to death and a sin that does. And the ideal here is the same thing, is there is sins that can be forgiven. You should pray about that. But when you, there's certain people that are committing sins, it's like there's nothing you can do about this. They, they've made a choice. And it's, it's again, there, there's people that will be in blindness, and that blindness, you can pray that God will shine the light, but once the light has been shined and you reject that, Jesus, it's like that's, that's over. You, you've rejected Jesus Christ. Now, if this happens in a moment, and again, this is like, and you, you, I don't think you can, you know, how do you tell exactly what's going on in a person's heart? But if a person uh, rejects Jesus throughout their life and the Spirit of God has revealed it, it may be a moment in time. It, it may be a, a period of time. It may be something God is working on someone, so they may be going through. But if a person has, these scribes apparently, these scribes, Jesus was confident, these scribes, that they were, or at least he was warning them, you're getting close to, it appears, just as a surface reading, that they had committed the sin. They had seen all the evidence, and they had rejected the Holy Spirit's revelation and there was now no longer any hope. They had committed the unforgivable sin because how is sin going to be paid for? Jesus is going to pay for the sin on the cross. It comes down to this. Jesus has paid for the sins of the world on the cross. If you reject the Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus Christ, again, he is the Son of God. He has become a man. He died for the sins of the world. But if you reject any of those, you're going to lose. If you say, well, Jesus was just a good man, well, then he, he couldn't die on the cross for the sins. Jesus was uh, uh, just a teacher in Israel in 30 A.D. Well, then he didn't die for the sins of the world. You're going to have to accept the revelation of the person and nature of Jesus Christ in order for this cross to be the payment for the sin. If you reject the Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus Christ, you're rejecting the sin. Just like we read yesterday in John, uh, any, anyone who believes will be saved. Anyone who does not believe remains condemned already i mean you're already under the wrath of god but if you believe you can be delivered if you don't believe you you there's no payment for sins you're there in this place of rejecting christ so that has that going oh we got to finish this up chapter uh, mark 3 verses 31 through 35 and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called to him so now if this is all the same event he's called these scribes in he's explained to them they've gone out now he's still in the crowd his mother and brother can't get in uh mother and brothers and a crowd was sitting around and they said to him your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you they're outside the house they want to talk to you jesus probably knows what's going on they don't understand what he's doing he's casting out demons he's got the crowd he's not eating right he's overwhelmed He's in danger from the crowds. He's in danger from the religious leaders. And so it's like, we just want him to come outside. And so Jesus would know they're not here to believe. They're here to deliver me from my mission. So they're not here for eternal purposes, not here for the true reason. And uh, and a crowd was sitting around. They they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And again, we saw that earlier, to take him away. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Think about it. Who are my mother and my brothers? Those outside wanting me to keep, be kept safe, be taken back to Nazareth and keep me safe? Or are they the ones sitting here 
having responded positively to what they've seen, not the scribes, but those who have responded positively to what the Holy Spirit has revealed, they're ready to do God's will. So who are my mother and my brothers? Those outside that want to save me from what God's called me to do? Or those who are sitting here saying, what can we do to do God's will? And he answered him, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, apparently in the house, here are my mother and my brothers. Now he's going to change that. Here are my mothers and my brothers. And then he says in verse 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice there, he's gone to singular, from plural to singular, and he's added sister. So in other words, opening up, it's like, who are my, uh, who are, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. They are the ones that are my family. Again, it's a new order. It's not the temporal order. It's a new order. They've received the revelation of the Spirit of God. They haven't rejected it. They've come into the family of God, and they're going to be doing the will of God. This is the new family. Those who are responding to the Holy Spirit, they haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They're now in. Again, just as surely there is an unforgivable sin, if you respond to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say it's an unbreakable covenant. If you reject the Holy Spirit, it is unforgivable. You've rejected the truth. But if you've come into the truth, as surely as it's unforgivable, it's unbreakable on this side. You have what we would say eternal security. If it's an eternal sin, surely there can be eternal security having faith in Jesus Christ. If you've, been tra- if you've become a mother, a brother, a sister, you can't break. That is now, like it says... Uh, the new covenant we talked about yesterday, uh, the eternal covenant. You have entered into the eternal covenant, which means there's nothing more coming. There's nothing that's going to break it. You've come into this. And again, he's not going to neglect his family responsibility or his temporal responsibilities, but he's definitely talking about something bigger that he's offering. Now, he's offering something that has never been offered before. He has bound Satan. He's setting the captives free and inviting people to join the family you want to be the family of god it's well they're outside no 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 i'm inviting you to join this family right now by the same holy spirit that the scribes rejected they've received here in this house that he's talking to and they're in there so anyway that's the end of chapter three i'll pray we're done and we'll pick up chapter four next week father do thank you for the chance to look into these things we ask that we may walk in your ways that we may do the things you've called us to that we may indeed Live as children of God at this time in history, doing the things that you've called us to. We do thank you for the Spirit and ask that we would follow the Spirit and allow the Spirit to reveal greater truths in our lives that we may again produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.